0: What's on, it's your guy Cole Jackson back with a, another episode of the Ravens Roundtable here on Two Guys Watching Football. I'm joined by a couple of buddies of mine. I got Dev Panchwag from Russell Street Report. Dev, what's going on, my guy?
1: Can't be any better than talking offensive line with you, my friend. There we go. There we go. I finally got my dream. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, we're so we're here to talk about
0: Morgan Moses signing a three year $15 million deal. And of course, I can't do it. I can't talk about the cap without my cap guru. We got Dan Reese at DP Reese 8 <laughs> joining us live from Starbucks on the <laughs> West Coast. How's it going, Dan?
2: Hey, it's going great. Uh how crazy. Another signing right after uh right after our show last night. So Awesome to talk about another one. So let's do it.
0: Absolutely. So for those of you that didn't see it, uh, we, you know, we, we did a video last night. Uh, I'll drop it down in the comment or in the description below, looking at the Marcus Williams signing, looking at where they could go. We did it with James Ogden. And I think the forward direction that we all kind of came away with was we got a hit on the offensive line. And then sure enough, at you know, 10 o'clock or so, set a scene for you. I'm sitting here playing Warzone like the man child I am at 29 years old. I look to the left over at my monitor and my notifications blow up. And there it is, the signing of Morgan Moses, uh, who's going to come in and be that immediate plug and play at right tackle. So I think we'll start here. We're going to kind of go through a few things. Um, We're going to talk about the cap uh, because the contract was really interesting. We're going to take a look at – a little bit of what you can expect from Morgan Moses, what he's going to bring the Ravens. That's why I got Dev here. We'll kind of talk through that. And then we're all going to talk about a little bit of, okay, now what? Um, And what can they do with that cap picture? So we got the the, the notorious slides. I know you guys have been – complimenting these because it lays it all out. You can screenshot them. Uh, So we'll we'll get right into those with Dan, have Dan walk us through that. Um, You know, 34 people in here, appreciate everyone being here. Go ahead, hit that like button, hit subscribe so you can find your way back for more. So Dan, uh, looking at the contract here. So it is a three year, $15 million deal. You know, kind of walk us through, how does this contract look to you?
2: Yeah, so um, kind of a, a pretty, a really nice signing and structure for the Ravens Um and the base salary for year one, sorry for all the background noise, everybody, but uh, I'll do my best. Um, base salary is, is just over 1.1 million. Um, the, uh, the prorated bonus, the bonus signing bonus was about 4.4 million. That's spread over the three years, the length of the contract. Uh, so that ends up with a, a cap number around 2.5 million. Um, after year one, the base salary jumps to 4 million and then 5.5 million. So, uh, you know, a little bit more aggressive for years two and three, kind of depending on how he's doing. But the, uh, the great thing about this contract is that, um, it's really low risk. So you, know, you go into year one, um, and, and it's, uh, uh you know, 5.5 million or whatever, uh, of cost for year one. And if he's, if it doesn't pan out, you can go ahead and cut him. And, and it kind of just, uh, there's no cost after that. Uh, I say 5.5 because that's the the cash that leaves after year one. Uh, It would be a 2.5 million cap hit on the first year. And then depending on the timing of the cut, either a 3 million in year two or 1.5 year two and year three. Um, But really minimal cap hit. Uh, if they move on after year one.
0: Yeah, and that was kind of my big takeaway. Uh, you know, something I wanted to check with Dev. Dev, how do you kind of feel about this? Because I see, you know, the low risk really stands out. Like, he's going to be here this year. Even if things went sideways, next year doesn't really leave you in too bad of a situation. And as he gets into 2024 or 33 years old, um, you know, you're in a great situation where you're either having him at a reasonable price of, you know, a, a nicely paid right tackle, or if
1: you have to move on,
0: uh, the cap savings are there. So how did you view that?
1: Yeah, Dan and I, we've talked about these glorified one or two year deals. I mean, this looks like that kind of structure. You, you hit it on the head. I mean, what can you lose here? I mean, even if they had to cut him, they're, they're incurring no debt, really virtually no dead money. I can't believe he signed this deal. I was going to ask you guys, like, what are the motivations? And I was thinking about it before. I'm like, well, he's, you know, he's from the area. He's also played with some bad football teams. And he's at a point in his career. He might have just said, all right, you know, I I want to play with a good team and I'm close to the area and the money's, I can work with this money in the structure. But yeah, this is a home run. Also, the cap percentages, too, because they're, they're going to be in better shape. You would think, uh, I mean, they're in pretty good shape this year comparative to, to other, you know, like last year. Right. So it's just, um, yeah, the, everything here looks phenomenal. There's nothing to lose and he's been durable and he's played. So you think you would think they're going to maximize the contract. If anything. That
0: That's the big thing for me is I'm not concerned about him, uh, in terms of an injury situation. Um, I mean, they can happen at any point. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know they're getting a durable right tackle and he's one of those guys that as long as he's loving it you know he's enjoying playing football you can see him playing into his mid-30s uh there's no reason to really doubt that um i kind of dug in you know sniffed around what kind of the motivations were and i think the biggest thing i learned is his priority was being in this area uh he spent six six years i think in, in washington went to the university of virginia Um, So, I mean, he's been in this area the whole time. So I think the Ravens really had that going for them. And then I think another motivation to him might've been getting that third year versus, you know, other teams maybe offering him one or two years. So, um, you know, it's interesting too to kind of move on and see where this stacks up against other right tackles. Um, He's, you know, I think he's around 16th and, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, he's not going to be a top 10 top five type player for you. He's going to be a nice, reliable Mid, mid-level mid right tackle but they got that at a mid-level price and so that's really what was important to me and then I'll turn it back over to Dan here because uh you know now that we have two signings in we can confirm the details of Morgan Moses we're still estimating here on Marcus Williams uh what his contract would look like based on the details we have once we know more we'll update that make it official but Dan how does this make our effective cap look right now
2: yeah, you know, just like you said, Marcus Williams, the $6 million is an estimate based off of, you know, kind of similar structure with a minimum uh, first year and then uh, a reasonable signing of a signing bonus um, and, and spreading that across the five years. Um, you know, all, all things being said, this reflects those two planning, plus also the rookie class coming in and the additional cost of them, offset by the uh, adjustment for the rule of 51, where only the top 51 contracts uh, hit the, hit the cap right now. Um, and after that all said and done, got about five million dollars or so, four point seven million dollars in cap remaining. So not a ton, but uh, you know, as we'll talk about, there are some, you know, the Ravens really haven't hit any of the switches to to gain more cap uh, other than a couple early cuts. So
0: yeah, so right now, they're basically sitting at right around. We're about a million dollars off what they normally carry into the season. But like you said, we have, Things that are at the disposal of Eric DaCosta that he can do. We've we've looked at this slide about you know 500 times now. Uh so I won't I won't belabor the point, but essentially what we're looking at here is they can create between and they can go as high or as low as they want, but they can create I, I we'll say 13 because I think we all see Marlon and Ronnie getting restructured. Um so between 13 and, and 17 million dollars in effective cap space just through restructuring. And that doesn't count the cuts that could possibly be made, you know, uh, a couple of extension options in Lamar Jackson and Marcus Peters. So I think this is the big point for me is they're currently in a good spot. They filled two big holes. They got a right tackle that they can trust to start week one. They got a free safety. That's going to be a playmaker ball hawk on the back end, and they have what they need to carry into the season, counting their draft picks. So in terms of where they're at cap wise, they're in great shape. And you know, as we've seen from the structure, they're, they're willing to kind of do a little bit of backloading uh, to get that year one cap hit down. So they pull a couple of these triggers and they immediately have room to sign someone else. And that's exactly what we'll see here. Uh, so Dan, walk us through this, because I think this is just, if they do restructure Ronnie and Marlin, which I think we're expecting, this is what our effective cap. So walk us through this.
2: Yeah, these are just the two restructures added to that, so that increases the cap remaining to uh, about eighteen point two million, uh, which is which is fantastic. You know, with just two two moves that that aren't incurring much additional risk, um, they can jump to eighteen million, and you can just see by the by the cap hits above for Williams and Moses, you can make big signings for for reasonable first year hits. So that eighteen can go a long way. So. Uh, I could easily see them making, you know, one or two uh, decent signings, decent size signings and, uh, and possibly, uh, you know, some some smaller ones to kind of fill in, fill in the gaps. So uh, I don't think they're done yet. And, um, you know, a a great start. And uh, I think with some restructures, they can gain gain some more flexibility and and make a couple more moves.
0: Absolutely. And so let's get, let's get into, uh, let's get into Morgan Moses, the player and what he brings. So what I did uh, what I always do is I reach out to kind of the film people that I know that are watching these guys. And I reached out to Mark Bullock from the athletic um, who covers the Washington commanders. Uh, Cause he saw him for years. He saw him for years down there in Washington. Um, and he, you know, he said, I didn't see him last year because he, he was with the jets, but uh, you know, I, I just kind of said, what can you tell me about him? And uh, I'll just kind of read you guys what he told me. So he said, huge frame with a really solid punch of pass protection can struggle with bendy rushers. They can get low while turning the corner struggled with some waist bending coming out of college, but improved that significantly under Bill Callahan um, developed into a really good right tackle when he got his big contract, a couple down years, but bounced back really well. Um, and his last year with Washington, he called his best year. And so that was uh, what ended up, he ended up on it with the jets for a year. And now here he said he finished with incredibly tough player um, fights through banged up injuries. That's why his durability is so high. Um, And he said one thing that's really interesting and this is something I noticed. So I watched two games of him this morning. Uh, You know, again, well, I probably should be working. Hopefully my boss isn't watching. I'm going to get fired this week. I think
2: Uh, that's kind of where I'm going. Uh, This
1: is Classic like don't have this is the classic like it's like March Madness is not as bad for productivity for me, at least as free agency is. The the worst part is
0: my boss follows me on Twitter. So he might be seeing this live right now. So Rob, if you're seeing this, avert your (laughs) eyes. Uh, So, you know, he said, and one thing that stood out, he said somehow he always gets away with false starts. And so when he said that, it was something I noticed. And I think this is something Morgan Moses has really learned to do. And that's time of snap count. And what's really important with that is some of the limitations he talked about, taller, um, uh, less bendy, you know, stiffer guy. Uh, they, they need those advantages. They need to increase that margin of error. And so one of the ways he does that is through really good timing of the snap count. Um, for those of you that joined me for the Brock Hoffman film room, uh, Brock talked about when he got moved to right tackle in the West Virginia game, he his most important thing. And what his coach told him was just get out of your stance. And that's so important at tackle. Um, and so seeing him you know, adjust to that earlier in his career and then continue with it. Gives me a lot of hope as we move down the road, as he gets older, um, you know, he's going to lose a step, but he's playing very nuanced football. So, Dev, what, what can you tell me? What do
1: you expect from Morgan Moses? Uh, you know, how do you feel about him as a player? Yeah, you covered a lot of good ground. Bill Callahan, that stood out to me. I know, you you know, with you being so in the trenches with the technique side, but that's, that's a good guy to learn from. So you would probably think he picked up those traits that, again, help him overcome the shortcomings physically. And Another thing that when you were describing him, and I put this out there a couple of weeks ago with the veterans, and the Ravens like these veteran tackles if you look at their history, too. Like you look at Willie Anderson, um, it kind of sounds a lot like him, right? Like a guy that's big, strong, has that power, uh, maybe not tremendous. You know, he's not tremendously quick or athletic necessarily. That's not his game, but it's like – but he understands how, you know, from a technique perspective to gain an advantage, he, he understands the snap count. Those are like little nuances that a smart player like that is going. That's why he's playing for as long as he's playing at a high level. So that's re- when you said like he's this is his best year getting more scored in Washington as his best year going to the Jets. And I think he played very well with the Jets as well. So that is um, that's like. I think that again kind of aligns with Anderson and some of these older guys that the Rams have gotten in the years and have played well for them into their thirties. So that is all, uh, I think when you think about reliability, that's a huge key because he's able, he's again, he's, he's going to lose some tread, but it's not going to make a big difference in the long run because he knows how to play the position and he's tough, Mm -hmm. any battles. And I I loved his quote he had uh, regarding playing uh, through things and, and, you know, being their first team. So that, that all defines, a, to me, that's like a classic Raven. And also that you, you could see why they were attracted to him in the first place.
0: Absolutely. No, that that's really well said. And so, uh, you know, a couple questions out there that I'm kind of anticipating. One of the big questions is, okay, can he, can he swing? Can he play left tackle? So, I mean, through his career, he's played 6,893 right tackle snaps. Uh, and 279 left tackle snaps, so in 2020, he filled in at two and a half games at left tackle, so I think he's the kind of guy that, um, and actually, he performed quite well uh, when he was in there uh, at left tackle, which was really interesting to me, just because he hadn't done it since 2014, and then he got moved in the middle of the game, and then they left him there for two full games, and he did it well, so I mean, I don't think this is if, if, if Ronnie Stanley can't get right by week one, I'm not sure moving Morgan Moses over there is going to be their answer. So I don't see him in that way. But he does bring you a little bit of versatility in that sense. Like once we start getting down to plan C, plan D, uh, I think last year we were on plan E, for God's sakes. I was almost out there at left tackle. Um, so I think uh, you definitely get a little bit of an option there, but it still leaves that kind of, okay, we're, we're, we're in the middle of summer. What do we do at left tackle? Ronnie Stanley's still not back. So, yeah, Dev, how would you kind of fill that void? Are you looking for another swing tackle type guy, a Cornelius Lucas, or are you looking for a drafted guy? How would you try and approach that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I get, Well, re, I think when you go with the draft, there's a huge mystery there too, right? Can somebody come in immediately, day one, and provide value at left tackle. Uh, I would still explore the veteran route. I guess I'd explore the free agency route if I could, and see if you can bring in a solid backup at left tackle. That's my first preference, honestly, um, because I think Bakari and you've you've confirmed this. He can play. I mean, he can play left tackle in a pinch as well. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if he's like number one on the depth chart at left tackle behind Stanley right now, and if. They have two right tackles in theory with Moses and, and James. All of a sudden that kind of gets opened up as well. That Makari could focus on left tackle. Maybe he you know he's still in play at center, too. But um that makes me less nervous knowing that Moses can play left tackle if you have to do that. I'm not saying in like you said, that's not number one option, but it's better than E, <laughs> uh, which they were at before, where we looking at Andre Smith at left tackle <laughs> at one point. So I, I, I and the, and you've pointed this out, the draft has a lot of talented guys. I would still, you've got five fourth round picks, two third round picks, take one and hope for the best in terms of that development uh, being in place quickly. Um, so I would still do that. And I would probably still sign a cheaper left tackle backup if you can do that. With Dan, I mean, with some of those, Things that you've projected, it's just a matter of prioritization at that point, right? So, if you can, yeah, it
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, I think they do have the room. I just, um, I'm not sure that they have the the roster spots. That's what it, that gets you know concerns me. I guess. So that's uh, something I
0: wanted to ask you about, Dan, because the idea I floated last night is you have a Cornelius Lucas again, a name I'm going to keep pumping, get used to it. Yeah. Um, that that has played left tackle um, for extended periods of time. Is it you know? what do you think is it, does it make sense cap wise to maybe they go the direction of letting Juwan James go because they've kind of filled that right tackle void and then bringing in a swing and filling that roster spot with like a Lucas, how, how would that look?
2: Uh, You know, I don't know what his money is looking like, but you know, they could do that. They could move on from James. Um, you know, they could also probably figure out a way to keep them both through, through, uh, you know, the, the free season and then see how it shakes out, you know, don't want to be, uh, looking to cut someone and then looking later. Um, so they can probably figure out a way to keep both until they need a final decision. Um, you know, it just is, uh, at this point, it's just opportunity costs, right? You've got so much money and, um, and, and a couple of places where you can improve and, um, you know, it's just whether you think the draft or the backups you have are, are, are good enough plan B and C or whatever, if you need to look but there are a lot of offensive tackles out there as we saw so i wouldn't be surprised if they're really patient and just kind of see what sticks and see who's there in a couple weeks Uh, maybe even after um i forget when the deadline is but but after the point where it doesn't count against your comp anymore uh you know even though the comp pick is probably over with after these two signings but um but you never know uh so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they delay and kind of wait and see what's out there and then uh, grab someone late for a, a vet min or something like that. But uh, we'll see. But, yeah. but actually, Cole, I just want to say I got to jump. I got to actually head over out and do work. But I'm glad I could talk a little bit about Cap. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to listen to the rest of this. And if anyone has any questions, just hit me up on Twitter and happy to talk, uh, talk Cap.
0: So. at DP Reese eight on Twitter, go follow Dan, uh, with Brian and Dan, the Ravens flock is really well covered with salary cap knowledge. So Dan, thanks so much for joining us and, uh, safe travels. So for those of you guys joining us again, uh, we got 63 people down there in the chat. Uh, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe if you guys are new here. I'm joined by. Dev Pantwag from Russell Street Report. We're talking Morgan Moses. Um, so that's kind of, you know, Dan kind of summed it up. I think if you go look at the savings before March 22nd, they can cut Juwan James and save $3 million on the cap. PFF's pro, uh, projecting a Cornelius Lucas contract at two years, $5 million, $2.5 million a year. That is tempting to me.
1: Like, what yeah. you know, is that silly? Like, is it silly to bring James in, put him through this? What do you think? No, you know what's interesting? He brought up a really good point as far as oh, if we were – I'm sorry, you brought up the point, but the idea being if you did cut James because you feel like Macari and uh, Moses is totally fine at right tackle. So now all of a sudden flip what I just said before, Macari at left tackle, now Macari at right tackle, and then you put, like you said, the money towards uh, Lucas, and I don't think that's crazy money. That's really so- – like that's perfectly fine. And the other thing that Dan brought up that got me thinking is – there's so many veterans that are out there, and those first-year cap hits are going to be – I mean, you, you're, you're going to be able to manage that, right? Because there's not only so much money, so much cap space uh, to go around right now. So the Ravens are playing this the right way. They're playing the long game. It's funny because they got called out for being patient day one, but as this, as this continues to move forward, their patience can really be paid off. So yeah, I, I'm with it. I, I, I would if you can make that work, and you can still hit on I don't know a couple of other. We'll, we'll get into that, but a couple other veterans, unrestricted signings, cuts, trades, whatever, and you can keep a couple of your own players. I think they can still do that with that cap space.
0: Yeah, no, well said. And and my guy, Jim, 20 eyes down here in the comments made a really good point. Uh, I'll just read it for those listening on a podcast format. It's not just a Stanley backup to start the season. Even if he's okay to start the season, how long can he keep it up? Maybe he plays six, eight, 10 games and his ankle gives out. And that's like, so I get a concern from a rookie backup left tackle because we're probably not taking a rookie at 14 anymore. 45 even becomes a little bit more unlikely. I could see definitely a rookie left tackle at like 76, 100, you know, that, that range. Do you want a rookie third round pick starting day one at left tackle for you? I mean, tough sell. that's a tough sell. So, I mean, that's just where I, I just wish James could play left tackle. Um, he did it in his rookie year, uh, 20, 14, I think, was his rookie year. I think him and Moses were same draft class. Um, he came. He he started at right tackle. start the year their left tackle went down. He flipped over. Hasn't really done it since. So I wouldn't. It's kind of similar to Morgan Moses where they haven't done it a lot. I don't really want to bank on it. There's nothing really suggesting to me they can't do it. But I would think if they go into the season with this group um, and Stanley can't start. If you guys remember preseason last year when Stanley wasn't playing preseason games. The number like the first string left tackle was actually Patrick McCarry because they were letting AV rep at right tackle. Yeah. Um, they ended up obviously flipping them after week one, uh, but that might be kind of their plan B as things stand in terms of a pl- as so I don't know, like I, I've kind of pigeonholed myself to one name. I'll keep repeating it. Uh, but I just think he makes so much sense because he can also play right tackle. So if you did end up in a nightmare scenario and somehow Stanley's your last guy, be kind of like Tavon Young last year, where you're off injured guys, your last man standing a tackle. Um, he can play both sides. And so that's what really intrigues me um, so much about that option. So, um, you know, We'll kind of move on from that. I think we both see Morgan Moses. This is this is this is an upgrade. I mean, this is a great signing. The Ravens did a fantastic job with this. Uh, they got a durable, rel- the, I use the word steady. I just I can't. Th- he's getting. He's the kind of guy he's going to give you. He's going to give up 35, 40 pressures a year with about five, six sacks. You can live with that. Um, and what that gives Lamar Jackson, which is the most important part, he's going to look, get up to the line of scrimmage, look to his right
1: side. He's going to see Morgan Moses and Kevin Zeitler. And yeah. I would feel safe. <laughs> so <laughs> that's shaping up is one of the better right sides in the league right now, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, and, and that's a great point. And then also, right tackle was also un, uh, uh, unreliable because you had Makari go down, and then when that happened, you had what tired. You know, Phillips go in. Get it, he was in and out of the lineup. It's just been a, a mess from every angle so just even having someone who doesn't miss games knock on wood but you know I like I, I do like Dan's thought though if with the, these guys being older James is uh, coming off the injury but if you can tag team that a bit uh, I like that as well but no you're you're right this is a, a big upgrade uh, and it's a peace of mind and Eric DaCosta pretty much put it out there that this was going to happen. In his press conference
0: that's that's what i said here this morning uh he typically does tell you kind of what he's thinking last year he kept harping on offensive guard and they they signed Zeidler and they drafted ben cleveland uh he was telling you exactly what he was going to do he did lie about the wide receiver room uh they did draft Rashad bateman despite yeah. <laughs> saying they were okay with it uh but kind of what i want to pick your brain on is okay we, we we've seen now we can create up to 18 million in effective cap space 5 million of that they're going to carry into the year. They have 13 million uh, at a minimum, I would say, because I do think those restructures happen. Uh, Where do you go from here? Where are you targeting? Uh, Whether it's guys positions, you know, what's, what's your path forward for the Ravens?
1: You know, it's in it. It's, there's so many paths. And I told you before I hopped on, I, I made a list and there's at least 20 people. I'm not going to go through all the names, but you, it, there, it's like our friend Mike Crawford says this, there's ice cream flavors, right? <laughs> there's flavors for anything you want. If they want to replace Brandon Williams, they have Eddie Goldman coming in for a visit. We saw Matt Ionidas released just before we got on. And that name intrigues me because I don't know where they're at with Calais Campbell right now, but Ioannidis at 28, uh, he didn't have the last two seasons. It's been filled with injuries and tore his biceps and, and some COVID stuff. So but before that, he had seven-and-a-half and, and eight-and-a-half sacks as an interior pass rusher. So he basically comes in, gives you that Campbell-like interior pass rush, which is very attractive for me. Um, as you know, Cole, I kind of – I want them to – just like you want offensive line, I want pass rush. I want them to be able to get after the quarterback, and that's attractive. Um, I think Mike Pier- uh, Michael Pierce is, is interesting too because, again, he's got – like Z'Darri Smith, right? He's connected to the Ravens. And you'll get him for much cheaper. So he's a guy that I would also be looking at. I think maybe that's where you start. At least I would start there. I think the centers, of course, is also a good place too with Treader and Bozeman. Um, and then I would probably throw in, I mean, Zaderia Smith is in link to the team, but I believe um, really comes down to costs. And the way I was mo- weighing it a little bit more this morning. And yeah, this draft class being as strong as it is, if they don't get, him or they don't get one of these veteran edge players, it won't be the end of the world. There's a lot of good depth at edge. Assuming you check off like two more needs, um, I think that's fine because you can just get load up in the, in the draft. Um So that's where I'm at. And I, I also – it wouldn't be something if they somehow was, were able to also bring back double A after all this. Like we thought he was priced out and you can bring him back as your f- fourth corner or third corner. I mean, they don't really have third corner to find yet. So – yeah, That's it's a, funny because we that. we talked about that last night. Uh, look at Levi Wallace's
0: deal. So he signed a two-year, eight million dollars deal with the
1: Bears. Oh, uh, I was it the Steelers or the Bears? Oh, no, it was the Steelers. Yeah,
0: Steelers, was right. Those guys, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're making those. Uh, so you know that that's interesting. So I think obviously Levi Wallace is—he was a starter all of last year, so he's probably in a higher tier to Anthony Averitt and He got four million AAV. I was originally saying you could go out and get a. a uh Anthony Averett, too many A's in there I go out and get AA for two I I kept saying two years eight million and give him a three and five mil cap hit and you know you can live with that it gives you that depth because you have so much uncertainty at outside corner now I'm thinking one year two and a half million um would, would he bite that uh you know maybe one year two million with some incentives uh, you know, playtime incentive. So I, I think that became more feasible just because similar to the edge market and how it's going moving slow right now, the corner move, market's moving slow. And the reason why is because edge and corner are really deep in this year's draft. So why exactly. spend your load on the, and that's what made the Marcus Williams signing so great to me is they kind of got premium position, high value player, top three free safety in the league. And, you know, it's not that I wouldn't say safety's shallow because it's not, but there's not a lot of top, top, top safeties. You know, it's Hamilton, yeah. Jax Hill, and then you kind of get more boxy guys like Brisker. A lot of interesting guys like Nick Cross and, uh, you know, even Reed Chip's guy Cross I really is like.
1: Petrie's interesting as well, yeah. but he's another one of these Brandon Stevens types. If, they, if they're like, hey, we have Stevens, he does all these things. And sometimes like you make moves to unlock other players on the roster too. So if I'm looking at this and I'm saying we got to get the most out of Brandon Stevens, I mean, he's a hell of a talent, and he can play in this Dax Hill role, and Mike McDonald, you know, obviously coached Dax Hill. It makes sense that they get the center fielder free safety and just, like, unleash Stevens as a matchup player. Exactly. I agree with you with the market. A.J. Boye is another guy I wrote down. And all of a sudden, if you can grab, I, I the reason I like if you were to re-sign Double A, a couple things they could they could pitch to him, come back for a year. We we know Marcus Peters is you know you don't want to necessarily run Marcus Peters ragged coming off an ACL. We can manage the snaps. You'll play in the rotation, which they like to do. They do like a, a lot with their rotations. Uh, and and pitch him on one more year, and then you go back out in the market, right? You prove yourself, and then you have a chance to make that money. So it could really work out for both sides. And if they could still bring back Chris Westry, maybe I'm getting greedy, but I'm corner is the same as offensive line for them. Yeah. So I, contingency I plan, contingency plan, contingency exactly. plan. Exactly. Yeah, and that also would would really help make me feel good about corner. Um, we know you know James Ogden, our guy is a huge Derek. Uh, Derek Stingley guy and and there's a lot of good corners in this draft and I would love them. But if you're going this route, then I would probably target D line edge up front, you know, top 14 pick best player available and feel good about it.
0: Yeah. And speaking of guys that could work out really well for the Ravens, you know, don't, don't discount a Bradley Bozeman return. Um, I think he, he didn't get quite the center market. He was expecting. Um, JC Treader's out there that, so number one for me on this path forward would be a center. Um, I think, you know, our, our buddy, Matt Weiss at the Matt Weiss on Twitter, uh, you know, kind of nailed it last night. I think they're probably feeling okay now that they have Moses because, you know, the plan right now would be to let Cologne compete with Macari. And I think in terms of a lower, like the, you know, we'll call it worst case scenario. That's not that bad of a scenario. It's not my preferred option, but it's, you know, I think you'll feel okay about that going into the year. Um, you know, there's some centers in this draft class that are really interesting, but, You know, the the thought of J.C. Treder out there and then Lamar gets up to that line of scrimmage and he says, Treder, Zietler, uh, Moses. I'm feeling pretty good about that whole center to right side of the line and it fits really well. Daniel Jeremiah put this out after the Super Bowl. If you look at the breakdown of the allocation or how the player was acquired on the last three Super Bowl winning teams, so that's 15 offensive linemen on three teams, 10 of them, if I have it right, we're free agents. And so that would mean your center, right guard, right tackle. Um, Then your, your left tackle is obviously hopefully a a, a day one pick and it's Ronnie Stanley out there and your left guard is a, is a day two pick, uh, which is very much in line with kind of the Super Bowl winning offensive lines. I, that's kind of been my focus. It's really where I shifted uh, with the offensive line to focusing on vets because you just get guys that are ready to go day one. Uh, There's always going to be that learning curve for rookies. Uh, except for the top, top, top guys. You saw it last year. You saw Sam Cosme in, in Washington start out slow and really settle in as the year went on. Uh, even Penny Sewell as a top drafted guy uh, started out slow and settled in. Rash- Rashawn Slater and Creed Humphrey were obviously a bit of a different breed, but, uh, you know, I, I think that makes that upside a, like, just like your pass protection from center to right tackle is fixed, but with, with that lineup. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And the thing, if you were to manipulate the dollars and you're saying, all right, well, I know I've been on the Zadair Smith train the whole time, but I'm willing to say if you don't want to spend that money because you're rationalizing it by saying you're going to have a strong edge class, then, yeah, then all of a sudden I would be cool with paying Treder and, and just shoring that up completely. Treader, Moses, and Zeitler, like you said, that right like that right side is – Fantastic, and then it it only helps whoever's playing next to him, whether it's Ben Cleveland, Phillips. Like those guys will play well. Everything just kind of it's a domino. falls into
0: place, man. Yeah. It's just you you created that kind of vet leadership. Uh, Zietler played beside. I keep switching between Zietler and Zeitler. I don't know which one it is. Uh, I'm sure someone out there is going. You're saying it wrong. I it's Zietler, uh, but I think it's Zeitler. Maybe I don't know. I'll we'll, we'll probably say. I don't pronounce names ways. well. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> um, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, creating contingency plans, creating veteran leadership, uh, it's only going to help the rest of that offensive line. And then the last piece I think is the D line. And so, uh, there's, there's a couple people out there, you know, Mark, here mentions love leaving D line is the biggest need in a draft class full of D line talent. Um, my question, and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll do this. You guys, if you guys are out there in, on YouTube, drop comments down below. Uh, if you guys have questions, we'll hit on them at the end. There's a few I have saved. So if, you, if you've already asked, I got it marked here. Um, but the last question I'd ask you is when you look at the strength of this edge class and the relative weakness of the interior defensive line pass rushing class, would you prefer, and we'll just kind of go one to another, um, you know, adjust in Houston, or a Calais Campbell in terms of a, another free agent that they could get. And I mean, we'll throw Zadarius Smith in there because I think he'll get a multi-year deal and that cap hit will come down to around that 6 to $7 million range. So would you prefer to go with an edge rusher or a Calais Campbell in terms of another addition to this defensive line before we get into the draft?
1: Yes, I think I would prefer that. I think also when you look at Clayus Campbell uh, and, and the impact, I think he's still the better player. If you were just to like be straight up, I mean, he's the better player than between the two. Houston was really good last year though, uh, and I think highly underrated in terms of his his overall value compared to the rest of the groups, rest of the players that are out there in the market, but. I just like Calais Campbell's value a little bit more because what he does, you can't find that. Like you said, there is lack of... I mean, there's there's lack of interior line proven quality players. Um, there's some nice talent. Uh, there's some nice players that could give you that. I mean, there's some scenarios. I got asked this earlier, or I think it was yesterday. Uh, is Jordan Davis now firmly in play? If you if you were to sign Zadarius Smith or some edge player... And kind of, yeah. But we have talked about this. Like, do you know that Jordan Davis is even going to play full time snaps? Or does he, he might not have to here, right? But what's the value that he brings? Is he, is right. he going to bring that pass rush value? And I'm a little bit worried about that part. I'm not going to lie. I think it hurt them against the better quarterbacks like the Bengals or, or Burrow and the Bengals or whenever they've had that four man front. I brought this up in the Steelers in the second game against Pittsburgh, I think it was. They forced those guys to stay on the field. Those big guys, they were in their base. The Steelers spread them out, and they couldn't rush the passer. So I would hate to be in that situation again. But I understand now with the market. I mean, if you can get a guy like Matt Ioannidis, uh, I'm kind of torn. I mean, I, I like, I want Campbell back because he's familiar, the familiarity, and just I think he, he, you know, he's he's a good ball player that's really been very good for them, but. Yeah, I'm kind of more in that camp uh, and starting to side to the draft class on the edge side. I'm I'm, com- I'm getting around to that.
0: Yeah, and I feel like someone's going to be there at 14. It's either going to be a corner or an edge. That's really what I see.
1: Yeah, I agree. But it's hard for me to give up on Darius Smith just because – it's well, he can
0: slide inside, scary. right? So, even if yeah. you got like we talked about this yesterday, I think you and I were on the same thread. Like, if they got Zadarius and Jermaine Johnson, your fourth down hunting line is Jermaine Johnson, yeah. Zadarius Smith, Matt Justin Matabike, and uh
1: Odafe Owe, and yeah. that's not bad.
0: <laughs> no, it <will laughs> that line can transform hunt
1: transform their defense, and then you have. Williams at safety. All of a sudden, you get your. It gets exciting company. real quick. <laughs> that's, that's that's got me. Got I've got goosebumps. I'm thinking 2018 all over again. Uh, but and, with I, the I better pass I Prefer Zaw Smith over Justin Houston because,
0: you know, I I, I think Zaw Smith brings longer term injury concern because he's coming off a back injury. I think they'd have to give him a multi year deal. Um, they'll do their due diligence and whatnot. But that that gives you a little bit of anxiousness. Um, but Justin Houston just won't move inside the way Zah can. So it it just, it kind of changes the way, even if you get into nickel situations and you have Tybo as one of your nickel linebackers beside a queen or a coverage linebacker that they draft. I mean, you can get really creative with five-man pressures, uh, five-man simulated pressures, uh, you know, with with Bowser dropping. So I think it even gives you that opportunity to get five pass rushers on the field in your nickel. Um, So I think it just creates... Flexibility for Mike McDonald. I, I joked around last night. I said you go look at what he did at Michigan, he'll get five pass rushers and five safeties on the field at the same at the same time. He doesn't care. Like he was that creative. So yeah, he really um,
1: does. He's got that Bill Belichick mentality. He's just gonna play yeah. whatever defense he needs to play for that opponent. uh yeah, I'm with you. I, I think those are some I, I, I like Zarya Smith the most if I had my choice, but the money's gonna be tough. So I'm yeah. willing to concede and go these other routes. Love it. And we'll we'll get into the questions here. So you know, again, if you guys have
0: questions, uh, we'll go through them and then we'll wrap up here. So first one, are you are we moving up for Filale? Give him a solid year to develop. Uh I food yeah. I still would. Um, it would be a really great situation for Filale to come in where he's surrounded by so many veterans. Um, he's someone that I think I think he can start right away for you, especially at right tackle. So that's where the fit kind of struggles with me because I think Morgan Moses is your plug-and-play right tackle. But if they see Falale the way I do and see that left tackle ability, um, I think that's where the situation becomes intriguing. And the question is, can he start day one at left tackle? Is How risky is that? Where's Stanley's health at? All of that kind of plays into a into, into a factor here. Um, you know, What do you think about that? What do you think about Falale as a second-round pick?
1: I love it. Uh, I think he's, he has so many good qualities. Again, we talked about these, the Ravens have a type (laughs) at at tackles. We, we, we know that he fits all of it. Yeah. Monsters, (laughs) big dudes, but he was like more athletic than I I thought. Just looking at some of his, the senior bowl reps, like he can move. His footwork's really, really good. I wouldn't be surprised if he did have the ability to even play left tackle, like kind of like Orlando Brown Jr. Where he could go both ways and, but the talent and the size. Yeah. You, you got to get a guy like that. If he's there, Uh, I'd be all about that. Agreed. Agreed. Uh,
0: Given the FA signings, any indication the team will lean DND tackle with pick 14, many to choose from. In my opinion, Gardner, Stingley cross would be a steal. I definitely agree about those guys being steals. And I I think it's kind of fun. If you, if you sit down right now and you write out the three offensive tackles, and then you write out your top 11 favorite defenders, you got a pretty damn good list there. And one of them is going to be there at 14. Uh, that's just basic math. I do know that part of math, uh, yeah. so I think uh, you know that's where this becomes an interesting question. And we we talked about Jordan Davis a little bit, um, but there's also Devonte Wyatt out there that kind of factors into that conversation yeah. of 14. And it's like, are they going to be? You know, how much do you stick to BPA versus? defensive line falling off quicker maybe you go for one there and you get a Wyatt and you got Wyatt Matabike on the inside so you know how, how what do you think about that do you think Wyatt's worth 14 do you think Davis is worth 14 what do you think uh
1: yes oh i think yeah no i think what you're saying in terms of like now do you recalibrate the way you assess this based on we're just going to attack the position uh, altogether cuz we've seen we've seen in the draft teams make those runs they don't care really, they'll just attack the need in the position. Um, I like Wyatt a lot, his talent, I would not be opposed to that at 14. Uh, And I think, yeah, I mean, I I think that would make a ton of sense just if they want to. And the other thing is McDonald, right? It comes back to him. Like, I know they signed Marcus Williams. So on paper, that looks like they're going to do the same things that they did before. They're going to rely on their corners. They have this free safety who can play in cover one and split safety and all that stuff. But is McDonald saying I need guys again? I need guys up front, four or five man rushes where I can get interior pressure. That would change, I think, the scope of how they look at that. Where they probably would need to again. If you're not bringing Campbell back, you got to fill that that void. So, um, yeah, t- Wyatt is very enticing given that, and he he's a better pass rusher than Davis. You know what you're getting with him. He's got that ability immediately. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, would it be worth bringing Campbell back and playing
0: him as more of a zero or one tech drafting, acquiring a three tech? I, I think they'll, they've done a little bit of that on, on pa- in pass rushing situations where they're lining him up over the guard in the center um, and in that a gap. But I think they'll still probably lean towards a more traditional uh, one or zero tech, whether that's a, an Eddie Goldman, uh, a Michael Pierce or a drafted guy like a John Ridgeway, uh, Noah Ellis out of Idaho. Um, I think they'll probably lean that way. Um, at, at the zero tech, it just seems to be you know there's there's always kind of what my opinion is and what I see them do historically, and they've just
1: always had that guy. They've always had a zero tech on the team. It seems. Yeah, and it's also there's a uh, physicality involved. It takes pound. It takes. There, those guys get beat up. The pounding, right? You don't want Campbell to absorb that consistently. You 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 change things up, like you said, and you play him in definitely in third down rush situations. You play him over the center. You can play Z'Darri Smith over the center like we talked about. So then you can get creative, and that's the selling point for Calais is that if you do what you said, you have Bowser on the field and you have, like I don't know, four or five guys that are edge-type players, you can play Campbell as your nose, and that's that's a really good thing for him and gives him the chance to, to have some better matchups and, and win those matchups up front. Absolutely. Well said. And uh, I think that about covers everything I was hoping to pick your brain on. So Dev, thanks so much for
0: joining us. I really appreciate it, uh, especially in the middle of the day. I don't know if you're skipping out on work like I am. Uh, But, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun to chop this up with you. So, you know, kind of give us, you know, are you excited moving forward? How do you feel overall about the start of free agency before we log off here?
1: Well, regarding the work point, let's just say I figured out a way to carve out some time. Cole, you know this well because we talk all the time. My schedule's chaotic, so yeah. I, I do. I am glad I was able to do this with you and figure it out. Uh, I'm ecstatic, and you know, it's I hadn't. I Marcus Williams was a pipe dream to me, and the fact that they were able to get him, uh, I, I just can't believe it. Still, I mean, 25 years old, top of the market, free safety. There's only so many of those available. Like you said, it's, it's like a unicorn kind of to find that. So even just getting him and then Morgan Moses is cherry on the top and they have a lot of resources. I've said this over and over again to the fan base, top 14 pick each round, multiple middle round picks, cap flexibility. You add that up. Eric DaCosta is not playing. Like he's finally got a lot of things to work with. Um, And I think, you know, being in that position, he's got a lot of levers he can pull, whether it's trades He still has picks he can make or picks he can use to trade. Exactly. So and the Ravens are playing this really well in the sense that they have enough cap to be in a position where, with a veteran free agent market, they're going to be one of the few games in town. Uh, So I'm I'm pumped. I think they're going to be a much better team come draft time, and and that's saying a lot because uh, they weren't that far off anyway. They just needed to get back some guys from last year uh, from injuries. Yeah, no, well said. And if they can finish this week with the signing of a J.C.
0: Treader or Bradley Bozeman, I think I'll just fall out of my chair with happiness. So, I mean, they've already exceeded my expectations, and anything more is just gravy at this point. But uh, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Dev for joining us. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Peace out, everyone.